the pathway of duty And if I were to the close of the day Hi, welcome to The Last Mile of the Way The Baton Passing African American Legacy Radio Talk Program I am your announcer and dream keeper, Jeanette Bush. Now, here is your host, Carl Boyd. Good afternoon. Welcome once again to the last mile of the way on Gospel 1590 KPRT. Gospel1590.com coming to you live Monday through Friday on 1590 AM Kansas City, Missouri. And I say that today because our very special guest will not be in the studio in Kansas City, Missouri. As a matter of fact, he will let us know now where we have reached him. He is uh, the doctor, Elijah L. Hill. Good afternoon, sir. Hello. How you doing, Dr. Boyd? Oh, uh, truly wonderful. Thank you for bestowing upon me a doctorate I've never earned. Carl is, Carl is just fine and cannot tell you how pleased we are to have you with us this afternoon. Yes, yes. Well, you know, it's it's such a blessing, you know, to be able to uh, share with you today, Dr. Boyd, in the Kansas City, Missouri area. All right. Before we do, uh, if you would allow me, or of course I defer to clergy, if you would open uh, with prayer for us. All right, certainly. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you today, Father, for this uh, broadcast, and we thank you, God, for the radio listeners that are in the Kansas City, Missouri area. Father, we know, God, that uh, we're in the Christmas season, and we ask, Lord, that you would just touch us and strengthen us, even those that are driving in the cars. and Father, those that are at home, God, we ask that you just bless us and protect us as we go during this Christmas season, and let it be a blessed one. Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And Dr. Hill, I... uh had an opportunity to look at uh, the book, The Triumph of the Black Church. And the copy that I received was assigned by you to a young lady who is in the studio with us this afternoon, and her name is Jeanette Bush. How you doing, Pastor Hill? Hey, man, hey, man. How you doing, uh, Jane? That's all right. You can call me Jane. I'm doing all right. We can call her, but Jan with who we call her. All right, all right. Let me indicate to you that uh, we have a program that is only a half an hour long. Uh And looking through your writing, uh, this is going to have to be part one. Uh, All right. I, I, I will tell you that it would be very easy to do a complete show on Dr. Elijah L. Hill. And what you have written about uh, Bishop uh, Mason is so important, so historically significant, that we can do uh, more than a complete show on the two of you. So uh, as I deferred to you in the opening, because you are clergy, let me defer to you as an author from the book, The Triumph of the Black Church. Are there particular messages that you especially want us to get from your writing? Uh, certainly. Um, one of the things that is uh, so unusual about this writing is that it is a missing piece of actual African-American history. Thank you. And uh, on the front it says the concealed 
FBI files in Washington, D.C. that reveal the pre-civil rights of Bishop Charles Hurston Mason that predates the civil rights movement in mm -hmm. America. Basically, what this um, writing does that makes it so unusual, um, uh, uh, Brother Boyd, is the fact that um, we have one of the most enigmatic figures, um, three of the most enigmatic figures that I would uh, state in the 20th century, you know, that dealt with the, the civil liberties or civil rights in some way uh, that even span across the globe is the three M, well, who I call the three M's, Martin, Mandela, and Mason. Wow. Now, this book puts Mason in the echelon yes. of the contribution on the level of Dr. King, but it was hidden in the FBI files in Washington. And so this book reveals, you know, that insight of the magnitude of his contribution, you know, to civil liberties in America uh, in the early 20th century, even before Martin Luther King was born. And one of the things that is so... <clears throat> about the triumph of the black church, this book that you can get on, you know, Amazon. Uh, basically, if you Google it, the name, the triumph of the black church, or either my name, Elijah L. Hill, um, he'll basically be able to see where he actually uh, institutionalized the presidents in America by contradicting Plessy versus Ferguson in 1896 which Plessy versus Ferguson basically was the standard for Jim Crowism yes. in America in 1896. Yes, sir. And, and so Mason, basically, he uh, introduced what you call integration of bringing together whites and blacks in America before the Civil Rights Movement. So this almost predates the Civil Rights Movement like 40 years and uh, it was never known. It was right. never really brought out, never exposed in African-American history. And so what you do is you see some themes within this movement that were very similar to the civil rights movement. I call it pre-civil rights. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> now, what is, what is uh, very interesting to me as it relates uh, to uh, Bishop Mason is there are some who will say when they talk about the March on Washington 1963 that A. Philip Randolph had the first march on Washington in 1941, and historians like to give A. Philip Randolph his due. But A. Philip Randolph was born 23 years after Charles Harrison Mason. And we don't give him the due that the tribute that we pay to um, A. Philip Randolph. Are academic institutions, public schools, colleges, and universities receptive to your teaching, or does it remain pretty secretive? Well, at this point, you know, it's uh, what you pointed out was a very important point about A. Philip Randolph, because he is also part of what you call the pre-civil rights in yes, America, sir. and I addressed that talked about that uh -huh. uh, in several different ways. One of the ways that A. Philip Randolph uh, brought in is really his first, uh, well, let's do what you just said in the 1940s. Yes, sir. In the 1940s, that, that first march, A. Philip Randolph, actually, his first threat to uh, the 
uh, government was actually in the 20s during Roosevelt's administration. Yes, sir. Come on now. Now, there was at least a threat. It didn't happen, but he at least issued the first threat mm-hmm. during Roosevelt's administration. Now, watch this. That's what created the first legislation for the military to become integrated. It was that that helped push in what you call civil liberties in America, but it started happening in the government, not in society. It was still Jim Crow in society. So, A. Philip Randolph is a part of what I call this pre-civil rights. Now, Mason, his part that played in the military process, he already kind of laid the groundwork. Mason yes. did, and this is how he did it. In 1917, President Woodrow Wilson created the first draft in America. It's the first time it occurred in World War One. When he created that draft, which was the Selective Service uh, Act of 1917, in order to get people to fight in the war. Uh, Mason sent a telegraph to President Woodrow Wilson in 1917. It's almost 30, 20 years before April of Randolph. Yes, sir. About uh, him setting a, an agreement about how should the government deal with religious people in regard to if they're pacifists <laughs> or if they're faith or religion yes. to not fight in the war. Now, he predated uh, what we know the most with uh, Muhammad Ali when he contested That's right. his Muslim religion in the 60s. Robert yes. Mason did this 70 years before Muhammad Ali. Hidden history. Now, <laughs> now, history in African-American yes, history. Sir. And he ended up being invited to Washington by the president. The president was so amazed at a black man that even dialogue about the Constitution and civil liberties, he invited him to Washington. He talked to the War Department and basically carved out what you call the conscience subjective exactly. that the military has today, so Mason exactly. kind of paved the way. So when Philip Randolph did what he did, the first threat, then it, it, it just pushed the military on the end to, you know, to integration. Now, this is very interesting, and you have woven it together so beautifully. Let me remind those who are listening that we are uh, talking with uh, Dr. Elijah L. Hill, his book, The Triumph of the Black Church. We're going to continue to talk about how you can avail yourself because I uh, believe that every student in the United States of America needs to read this book and understand uh, uh, some things. Uh, one of the things that's important about the triumph of the black church is the role that the Church of God in Christ played in Bishop Mason's assertion of conscientious objection. Amen, amen. And that's a, that's a great way in which you uh, address that. For example, um, or one of the ways also that uh, people can get a whole book, you can either Google it, The Triumph of the Black Church on Amazon. All right. Also, they can give me a call during Christmas. They're $35 on Amazon, but basically they receive them for 20 If you want to get it for a gift or get it for your church or your pastor or yes, you want yes. people to teach on it, uh, it's my number is 760 278 3157. 760 area code 273 3157. Or you can Google it on Amazon, but it is a discount if you call directly or just call the radio station. Maybe they can re give out the number. But what you pointed out, Dr. Boyd, is very, very important because I think we're in a critical place. I just met with one of the professors at ORU. I'm here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. All right. Yes, sir. This week. Mm-hmm. I met with uh, Dr. 
Arbor, who's over African-American studies uh, in Pentecostalism, and I shared some of the facts of what me and you are discussing. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, I have never, I've written, I've read every book Come on, on African-American religion. I have never heard yes. of this kind of monumental stuff that's going on in your book. My Lord. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if we look at history, as a matter of fact, 2013, the 150th anniversary, the African Methodist Episcopal Episcopal Church. So you will hear forever about uh, Bishop Allen and Absalom Jones. But Mm -hmm. in terms of what you are talking about with the uh, Pentecostal movement in the United States of America, not confining itself to the African-American community, but it has global ramifications. Everybody needs to read this. Yes, yes, because it's almost, it's a missing part of um, yes. uh, how the church actually fits in the mode of standing for civil liberties in an era that most denominational leaders that were African-American were afraid to say anything. During this time that Mason was making his strides, you, mm-hmm. you couldn't even look at a black man when you walked down the street. You had to put your head down. See, this is a whole different era that he brought in integration. He even... Uh, in 1916, the, the governor brought him in to do uh, healing revivals with all whites in civic auditorium. Mm, mm, mm. You know, things that was unheard of because yes, the ministry was that powerful, he was that effective. Um, you know, and then he uh, integrated, you know, white and black. I thought Kojic then was white and black. He even later on had a white man that would go for him that wrote a book in 1945 uh, talking about his philosophy of God that he had held for 62 years in America. And his name was James Delk. He was white. What he would do, he would go in strategically into white organizations, mm-hmm. tell them, Christian, tell them that it was evil and not of God to be living according to Jim Crow, according to the tenets of the Bible. Exactly. And then invite Bishop Mason in. He was like his white front for, for <laughs> integrating into white society. My Lord, let me remind those who are listening that this is the last mile of the way on Gospel 1590, KPRT, Gospel1590.com. Today is a Thursday. That means Art Thursday. And our very distinguished author today, Elijah L. Hill, talking about the triumph of the black church. And one of the things that you said in your book is that Charles Harrison Mason addressed religion racism, pacifism, globalism, and even the military industry, iron industry, uh, during his tenure, uh, I would suspect, uh, Dr. Hill, that he had uh, some serious challenges. How do you assert that he was able to come through to age 95? (laughs) Well, this was actually a miracle, uh, Dr. Boyd. You just hit the nail on the head. This is such a such an amazing story. What I'm going to do is go back to um, the in- beginning interim of him starting Civil Liberties in America, which started in 1917. And yes, sir. The FBI files. Mm. He sent the telegraph to the government. He met with the War Department. It's documented in the FBI files. Amazing. They had laid out a conscious objector agreement with Mason. The government did, and and then he put together a a uh, a document that 
that was a pacifist, conscious objector document. Now, this was the first document. Yes. He was the first religious institution to get approval through the government because he was the first one that wrote them when mm. it first started, the, the draft. Yes, sir. 1917. Now, after that, then it was approved, and he began to share the document with, with other you know, ministers across the country, white and black. So they began to stand up and say that, you know, they didn't have a right, you know, to accept the draft based on the freedom of religion, the the Constitution, First Amendment. That's right. And so the whites in Mississippi, which was a deeper, oh, you know, old Miss, you know, where it was really rough, right? He hit his problem in Mississippi, you know, Mm. just like the Civil Rights Movement hit. Uh, a exactly. Mississippi. You see what I'm saying? I do. Believe me. <laughs> so when they got into Mississippi and the old uh, sharecropping preachers and, and, and women, uh, they had their letters and they gave it to the draft department uh, so we didn't have to do it. And they began to see Mason's name everywhere. And they were Absolutely. like, uh, who is this man named Mason? They were like, the, the old Mississippi said, well, who, who y'all think you are coming out of cotton fields telling us that you got a right? You ain't got no right. Freedom of religion. Who is Mason. So they called up the FBI against Mason. My Lord. And then forced the FBI to uh, investigate him. He's the first FBI file in America. Now you Mason you, during my Lord. <laughs> oh man, this is this is so good. Not only that, when you think in terms of World War One, when you think in terms of America's relationship with France, here is a black person from the United States of America making statements that resound well beyond our own shores at a time when it was unpopular for a black man to read. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, so that you, you have that courage and then coming up against after Plessy versus Ferguson, now in this assertion coming up against the Sedition Act. That's right. And now that's a good point of what you bring up with the Seditious Act. So what happened was during the uh, President Woodrow Wilson's uh, administration was very complex in this sense that uh, based on the war, you know, he his background was he was more a uh, religious person himself, supposedly. But he yeah. got into, he, he even ran on the presidency heading into the 1916 on the basis that he would not go to war based on his pacifist position. That was his more personal mm-hmm. position. But then World War One happened, and he was forced to, to enter the war because of Germany bombing American private ships. That kind of forced his hand, so he went somewhere he didn't want to go. But what he did do that was wrong is he actually created, he took the uh, uh, Seditious Act, and which was called originally the Espionage Act. That's right. Yes, they sir. always had when somebody did treason against the U.S. That's always mm-hmm. been there, the mm-hmm. Espionage Act. But he created, created on top of that the Seditious Act during World War I, yes. from 1917 to 1919. Mm-hmm. And he made it where he even violated the rights of people's freedom of speech in America. You couldn't even say anything just the way you were put in jail for 10 years. If you were religious and you said that uh, it was your religious belief that you couldn't shed blood, you'd be put in jail. All, all, a lot of religious faith during this era was, was jailed, persecuted by America because they had violated the First Amendment, the freedom of press, the freedom of speech, and freedom of religion. Now, Mason, I mind you here, he's being persecuted ahead of all that, all right? He's in court ahead of all of everybody else 
standing for religious liberty. So here Mason is at the forefront of civil liberties and religious liberties as a religious African-American history, uh, a minister in America. So he's kind of the prelude of civil rights. See, he's, yes, he's laying the groundwork. <laughs> yes, sir. And not only that. And dialogue with the president during Jim Crow in an era that was unprecedented oh, for black God. people. And when we think about our need to help young people in 2013 trace the civil rights movement to having its birth in the church, they need to go back a little further to pre-civil rights. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, because and, the, if you look at that angle, there were, there were a couple of angles that were very monumental in African that we forget about the contributions of people. And one would be Mason. That's why I said the three M's. Mason, yes, sir. Mandela. I only say them two because we know them. But Mason, Mandela, and, uh, excuse me, uh, let me see, Martin, Mason, and Mandela. That's yes, how I said. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> but anyway, we, we, the third one we leave out because he was kind of carving out civil liberties. Now, the ACLU, it was founded in 1920 based on Woodrow Wilson's persecution <laughs> of people's <laughs> religious liberty. That's My Lord. Really, they really trying to defend religious folk. Nowadays, it's something else, but I'm just saying it. That's right. That's right. In 1920, it was because the government was violating people's religious rights. But now, Mason was already in court and already got an FBI investigation and already been in prison, in federal prison, and the people in the Church of God in Christ, the white ones, they, they said, well, we're going to stop this man. So they put a bell on him in 1918 for $3,500. A white man comes up, gives them cash, money, bells, like we're getting dad out. Mm -hmm. The white man made it out of Mason. <laughs> well, well let, me, let me just talk uh, uh, about the authenticity and credibility of Elijah L. Hill as it relates to your research and your reporting. One listening might think that because of Bishop Mason's history in the Church of God in Christ, that all who were involved with him were for him. But he had to face challenges from those who initially befriended him. That's right. So there was a lot more to this history, just in case those who purchased the triumph of uh, the black church think it's a romance novel and uh, everybody lives happily ever after. He was challenged uh, by someone in his own denomination. So he had those personal challenges to overcome as well. Can you speak to that? Well, um, yeah, before I... Um address that let me just touch on and i'll come right back to it but please how what happened in the trial with mason now oh, mason okay. was, i'm sorry i interrupted uh, you please how, how he was able now you mentioned back about how he was able to live to be 95 years old which was a miracle because the government was out to get him mm. <laughs> that was for sure <laughs> yes sir and what ended up happening in this trial he ended up winning the case against the FBI. Mm. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Twenty-one. <laughs> My God. <laughs> and he's the only person that the government came against their religious rights that was not prosecuted and put in jail for long term under the Seditious Act. He was tried for it, but they never won against him. He was the first one to win as an African-American and the only one during that era because the Civil Liberties Union had to be created to go back to redeem these folks because the government <laughs> took advantage of them. Now, one of the things that caused him to win, now watch this. All right. He, he created a 
uh, creed, a religious creed, all right? Now, I pulled this out of the Biafra. It said political governments, this is what it reads, in 1895, when M.C.P. Jones really originally created Church God in Christ, he said, we believe that governments are God-given institutions to benefit of mankind. We admonish <laughs> and exhort our members to honor magistrates and the powers that be to respect and obey civil laws. We hereby uh, herewith declare our loyalty to the President, the Constitution of the United States, pledge our fidelity to the flag from which mm-hmm. it stands. Then it goes to say, but we believe the shedding of human blood uh, and the taking of human life, contrary to teach of our Lord Savior Jesus Christ as a body, and we're adverse toward our All right. Now, Mason writes this <laughs> 10 years before the trial. So when the judge sees that this man has even written his religious creed, a black man, yeah. and already mentioned the Constitution, already mentioned the support, he's writing the constitutional stuff in his creed. Thank you. Now, that's why they had to throw out the court case. Because the judge said, how can you try this man saying that he's against the government and when his actual corporation was approved by the federal government in 1895, 10 years before the trial? So this is what... My God. Let me ask you a question because I think I read where you wrote, and we're quickly coming to the end of this half hour, but I think I read where you wrote that that a judge had a quote that was similar to I see no fault in this man. I'm leaving this alone. Exactly. <laughs> and that's what the judge said. The judge was so amazed. He said, I'm not having anything to do with this man. There were two things that were in place. Something? Number one is the fact that the man already had his support of the government mm. in his original creed, and the government approved it. Yes, sir. Because corporations was approved by the feds. It was not local like it is in the 1800s. So Mason was ahead of the game. He was the only black that had a corporation that was approved by the federal government. So when he produced his documents, it was very difficult. I'm not having anything to do with this man. Plus the power in his life. Mason was, uh, you know, (laughs) a guy that God used in the miracles and healing. And, you know, he recognized who he was. I'm not not having anything to do with this. He had no, they had no ground. There you go. And threw out the federal case of the FBI. Man, listen, we could talk for a while. We're already at the end of the program. You've got to come back and talk about Mason's relationship to Lizzie Robinson's uh, 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 because here again, uh, he was one who was, quote, ahead of his time, unquote, as it relates uh, to women's positions in the church, was he not? That's right. That's right. And he even made leeway in those areas. And that's something we can address on the next program. We have uh, to. What, what I want to say is it's mentioned that people would like to have a copy for Christmas. Like I said, you can get a discount on it. It is 35 on Amazon, the Triumph of the Black Church. But if you just give us a call, our office, 760, area code 278 
So that was the triumph. It's not just about the black, but it's about the black people having enough courage and, and through Bishop Mason's ministry mm. to say, hey, in the Constitution, hey, it's all right to assemble with who we choose. It doesn't matter your race, creed, or color. Come on now. Thank you so very much. God bless you. What a Good powerful. job, Pastor Hill. God bless you, Dan. <laughs> I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Still Thank you. Hard, yeah. All right. God bless. Wow. Elijah L. Hill, the triumph of the black uh, church. Can you imagine we just scratched the oh, surface? Oh, yeah, with him. He, he is very, very knowledgeable. <laughs> that is how, and yeah. you say that's the other thing. We want to do an interview yeah. about Elijah L. Hill. Yeah. He's written about other folks, mm-hmm. but he has a story in his own right. Mm-hmm. Wow. This is the last mile of the way on Gospel, 1590 KPRT. And uh, repeating some of that information, here's your announcer, Jeanette Bush. Dream Keepers, Last Mile of the Way listeners, those who would like a copy of The Triumph of the Black Church written by Dr. Elijah L. Hill, may contact him at area code 760-278-3157, or you may go on Amazon to get a copy of the book. Now your host will close with a brief last mile hook from Brother Carboyd's book. Today is Thursday, December 19th, 2013, and today's hook is when you get desperate, you let desperate get you. Please read Philippians 4 and 6. When you get desperate, you let desperate get you. Read Philippians 4 and 6. Thank you so much, Dr. Elijah L. Hill. The triumph of the black church. Jeanette Bush is your announcer. Ed Atkins on the board. Carl Boyd saying, gracious God and wonderful Wanda. I'm on my way home. Listen, I've been struggling. I've been strained. But I'm on my way home. I've been struggling, I've been straining, but I'm on my way home. Let me tell you something, I've had a lot of things to happen to me in life. Sometimes life get hard, it cuts just like a knife. I've been struggling, I've been straining, but I'm on my way home. Is that all? I've been struggling, I've been straining, but I'm on my way home. Yes, I have. I've been struggling, God knows I've been straining, but I'm on my way home. Listen, I've took a lot of beatings, I've even went without eating, but I've never lost a pound because they never let me down. I've been struggling, I've been straining, but I'm on my way home.